You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to a new Rooted Discussion episode of the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and welcome to episode 46 of the, I don't want to say the only podcast, maybe the only, not even only Native Plant Podcast. We're going to, we're the first podcast to say that you should spend all your stimulus money on Native Plants. Yeah. Well, I just got my check in the mail today, and we know where it's going to go. So you guys should do that too. Uh, you're helping the earth when you do it. You don't get them for free. I get some of them. For, I got to pay for a decent amount. You work in a native plant nursery. You're telling <laughs> me you don't for, get <laughs> for, for more than you think. Well, <laughs> I maybe I shouldn't tell you, but they let me have plants for free here. So the first, man. the first one's free to get you hooked, and then, <laughs> yeah. then after that, it's you got to start paying for it. But, but today, we really want to take a deep dive into native plant gardening. We know a lot of our listeners, and who even the ones who are doing this for a living, also like to do this at home, and um, and sometimes that can be. A little more daunting you have like a big project well you have all these really smart people that are chipping in their their ideas on it and then when you get home and you try and do it on your own well sometimes it's it's a little bit difficult to get started or, or find the right path for yourself so uh, and while Fran and I work in a native plant nursery uh, and we both use native plants in our gardens at home uh, I would say we're still pretty novice when it comes to actually putting the right plants in the right spots and and being good gardeners when it comes to native oh, plants. Oh, I'm, I'm novice, and <laughs> and I don't even listen to my own advice. You know, like, we, we'll, we'll do all these episodes about what you should do, and I don't, you know, I don't always follow my own advice. And it's, you know, and, and sometimes working at a nursery or a native plant nursery, sometimes you go home and you want to break from it. Like, mm-hmm. you, you need to distance yourself and, and find another hobby rather than yeah. that. But I, I'd say I did start to enjoy gardening once I had kids because mm-hmm. <laughs> that gave me some – some solitude and uh in my garden of loneliness (laughs) where where you can like you know just gather your thoughts and spend some time and and over time i've learned to appreciate it but i don't really have any pillar to Mm -hmm. like a a starting point like i i know i'm a novice and i would love to know more so this is i'm really except my favorite episodes are ones where i learn something yeah and i I, i feel that's going to be this episode so i have my learning cap getting ready to put it on and uh i'm 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 ready yeah and that's why we decided to bring in some experts um today we're joined by two returning guests and one new guest please welcome richard mccoy becky laboy and john mcgee that kind of rhymed huh yeah i like that uh i'm just going to go in order of how i'm looking at you on my screen um richard why don't you give just a short introduction and then becky you'll follow and then john you can go after that sure sure Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Fran. Um, not, Becky and John. Not to, uh, Pam and Pam and, <laughs> and Jim. Yes, Pam and Tom. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm Richard McCoy, owner of Richard McCoy Horticultural Services. Um, I started in the green industry back in the late '80s, early '90s as an arborist. Uh, started my business around 1995, and then transitioned to organic and ecological in 2005. Um, and we've been running our business that way ever since. Um, we focus on native plants, green infrastructure, um, like I mentioned, organic turf care, um, and a pretty cool thing that just happened to us in February, we're actually New Jersey's first AGSA, 
the American Green Zone Alliance certified company, which means that uh, they have gone over us with a fine tooth comb and we are the only company certified under AGSA to use battery powered electric mowing and uh, maintenance equipment. So um, that's pretty exciting for us. We also, with Pinelands, um, as Tom and, Tom and Fran mm -hmm. mentioned before, are uh, part of New Jersey Sustainable Business Registry. Mm -hmm. um, I'm part of the Rutgers Organic Land Care Program, a member of a board member of the Organic Landscape Association, and a few other odds and ends. But that's the, the quick and dirty of my background. I'm I'm just glad. I, I just want to butt in that I don't have to introduce myself yeah. because <laughs> everyone is involved in so much, and I just feel like such a slacker. Yeah. Oh I'm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, because the last episode you just listed oh, all the true. things that you're yeah, a part of. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah. oh. Well, it's, it's when you learn not to say no. That's how I'm a part of things. I don't say no. I'm, I'm a little older, so <laughs> yeah. I've, I've learned to say no. So, Becky, now you sent me a whole bio, but now I flipped it back on you. You, you have to read <laughs> your bio. I wasn't going to do the work. How about you introduce yourself? Well, hello there, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for having me back on the show. I'm so excited to be here again. Uh, my name is Becky LeBoy. I'm the Education Outreach Specialist with Ocean County Soil Conservation District. And um, I wear a couple of hats because I also can't say no. And I am an adjunct professor at um, Kane University over at the Kane Ocean Campus. Um, I also wear a hat with Ocean County Parks and Recreation as a naturalist. And I predominantly lead tours uh, for birding and um, also a co-leader for the Jersey Shore chapter of the Native Plant Society of New Jersey. And my, my hobbies or my passions include both native plants and birds. So I'm constantly outside getting ideas for my home garden. You, you didn't even mention Jersey Friendly Yards. Yeah, that's a, a huge initiative. Oh, I'll be talking a lot about that um, with my with my employer, Ocean County Soil Conservation District. Um, I can launch into that now, or I can kind of weave it into our conversation. Um, and and I was actually on the podcast talking about it. There's yeah. a whole yeah, and that um, was uh, that was episode five. And I'm actually look, Rick. I'm trying to figure out what episode you were on. This is me not doing my homework beforehand, but. Yeah, how dare you? Yeah. Shame on you. Yeah. Shame on you. So, not, um, not like I could have done Yeah, that. once I find it, I'll, I'll let everyone know what episode to look, listen to for that. And then our next guest, you might recognize the name, and you should definitely recognize the voice because he is a podcast host of his own. John, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm John McGee, and uh, it was it was kind of fun listening to you say uh, the only podcast on native plants, since I'm the host of the Native Plant Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't trying you know. to say the only podcast on native plants. I was saying the first one that was going to say you should spend your stimulus check on native plants. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there yeah, we need to get more money in the native I'm plants. I'm not getting the stimulus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting the stimulus check, so I, I don't know what to do uh, with with zero, zero dollars, <laughs> yeah. but I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, uh, I own McGee Design in Middleburg, Virginia, and um, we're an award-winning design firm. Um, do a lot of different things. Uh, I, I guess I'm hearing that you get to be a business owner and you get to be an expert because you don't know how to say no on things. And <laughs> yeah. I guess I fall into that category too. <laughs> well, well, thank you for not saying no to the podcast. We're actually really excited to to get to talk to you yeah. and have a, a conversation like that. Yeah, and, and uh, we we talked a little bit beforehand, and for probably I, I probably oh well 
five years now. How John? How long have you been doing the podcast? I started listening after you've been doing it for a, at least a little while, but it's been a while. I've been listening. I just don't know how long. We're we're. I say we're in season six, but I kind of made up that number because we did like <laughs> the first three seasons all in one shot. Um, which uh, you know, when I said I wanted to do the podcast, I. I think I had the first 80 shows lined up uh, wow. ahead of time. You know, mm-hmm. Fran was talking about being a little better planned out. And, I, and you know, I was like, look, if I'm going to do this, I've, I've got to have this planned out and ready to go. And so uh, Mike Berkeley and I did the first 70 or 80 shows together mm-hmm. without stopping and, and then took a big deep breath and went, oh, you know, that's enough of that. And, and so I came back and said it was season four, and we're now in mm-hmm. season six. But uh, you know, there's there's some question about. Yeah, and and what episode are you on on now? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that means a lot. Yeah. So you know, it's, and I I appreciate this because there's times where I look at Tom and I'm like, I just don't know if we can fit this in. Like, I'm we're so busy. Like, and you you keep you, you keep. Oh, we need to do this. We need to fit this one in. We need like we had a list of, of people we wanted to have on that we started with that we've deviated yeah. so far from that we've only hit a couple of the people. We just keep going in as the conversations go in different directions. We keep going in, in different directions, mm-hmm. and you keep like how do we how do we fit this in? How do we like it just, was? It, uh, it can be. It was actually episode nine was the first one we we did off of our list. And um, and then yeah, we haven't looked back. We still have like ten people left on that initial list that we put out that said, "Hey, we want to have these people on." So we'll get to them eventually. There's just so much ground to cover. But and and Richard was on episode nineteen. Nineteen. That's what I was going to say as well. But if you haven't already, and you're really interested in in uh, learning more about native plants and the uses for native plants, definitely check out the Native Plant Podcast. Um, that was one of the I listened to a ton of podcasts for years now, but that was one of the ones that kind of was in our space. And I learned a lot from, um, and where we probably just scratched the surface in a lot of things, they go really in depth and you have some super knowledgeable people on there. So yeah. you guys are doing a great job. Yeah. I, I couldn't, well, I'm not that now, like I listened to yours and there's a lot of great, um, native plant podcasts in that space. Mm-hmm. And, and I consider yours one of the top, but I'm not knowledgeable enough to have that kind of, con- <laughs> that kind of conversation. So I'm really envious and jealous when I, I listen to your podcast. Cause I'm like, I could never, I could never do that. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause my wife once said to me, you know, aren't you going to run out of people you can talk to? And you guys were just talking about, you know, how do we fit this guy in? How do we fit this, guy <laughs> yeah, in? Yeah. this person in? And, you know, and, and that's what I basically said to her. I mean, there's just so much, you know, and it, our show is not only about native plants. We mm-hmm. we talk about conservation and mm-hmm. conservation issues and whatnot. And um, so you, you there's a there's a deep well. Yes, <laughs> yes, there is. Great. So. so I guess we should probably kick into this. Yeah. A yeah. little bit, and I, you know, it's it's hard to say. I don't even know what the best place to start. And the funny thing is, because we're talking about gardening with native lands or native plants in your landscape you know some of the conversations we've had over time is you know is it even right to garden you know <laughs> like yeah. it, it's, it's become so philosophical at some point and and we can even touch on that a little bit as well but um what like just starting with native plants in your landscape if you're a novice and and even a novice gardener or or novice to native plants um 
what are the best reasons to give to someone to, to use native plants to, to make that leap and become more knowledgeable, mm -hmm. not to just make a, a decision based on beauty, but more on on ecology for, for pollinators for so many other reasons. What, what, are, what are some of the best reasons you can give for someone to make that leap if they're not already doing it? Anyone can start. Don't make me call on you. <laughs> I'll, I'll start out. Right. Um, I think uh, there, there's actually, I really truly feel that there's already an awakening happening, that pe people are becoming more in tune with the importance of native plants. Um, I feel like I'm not only preaching to the choir per se, um, I'm also kind of expanding my reach to, to folks who are kind of newbies to native plants and um, their their genuine interest is, uh, well, I feel anyway, is, is how can I support the planet in small ways mm -hmm. um, by attracting wildlife. Um, I think there's a, an awareness now kind of growing in our public about um, a lot of endangered and threatened species. Um, the monarch is the perfect ambassador. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks are wanting to plant plants that support um, monarchs and other pollinators and butterflies. So so it's not only beauty, I think, which, you know, certainly gardening was for beauty. And we, there's, you know, the whole gardening trade is all around uh, beautiful, exotic, non-native plants. But we're, we're turning to natives now because we realize the word is getting out that there's um, an ecological evolutionary connection between wildlife species and and native plants you got to have the native plants in order to support the wildlife yeah i mean i could sort of follow that up with saying as far as like homeowners go you know i, I have conversations obviously with them all the time and there is yes an awakening to a lot of folks but you know and I, i'm i'm gonna go down a bad path i think here but i'm gonna go anyway <laughs> Um, the big, the bigger problem is the, the monarch's great. The honeybee, even though it's not a native, it's great. That brought a lot of attention to, to pollinators. But our industry has it's using a model from the 1960s to manage landscapes. Mm -hmm. you know? and that's that's the bigger problem outside of all the all the work that's being done from Jersey Friendly Yards and you know uh, Benjamin Volt and his work and you know that he does. Um, I think the bigger thing is having the industry be more aware of it and have them, you know, in implement more natives into their landscapes and also having them educated so they can educate their clients as to why they're using them. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a big, a big deficit that, the, that our industries has as far as that goes in a, in a, in a big way. So I think that's a, a major problem, not really answering the question you wanted, but no, that's OK. You know, I think that's a that's a big issue you have to deal with. Do you, do you find like say John do you do you, do you find a, a bigger awareness with the clients you're dealing with or or do you get more pushback do you think it's is it is it becoming more divided where maybe you get both maybe a lot more pushback and more people that are more knowledgeable that know what they want I definitely don't think it's more divided than it was you know I've been doing this for 25 30 years and I was just talking to a client down in Alexandria, Virginia yesterday, and I live in the Washington, D.C. area, okay. which is surrounded by politics. And we were talking about the fact that every time there's a, an administration change, there's like this entire change of the mentality of Washington, D.C. And mm -hmm. so I moved here during the first Bush administration and then Clinton came on and it was like this environmental awakening happened. 
and um, and I'm not going to get you know too into the politics mm-hmm. of those people or anything, but um, you know it kind of went back and forth a little while with oh this is we're not talking about the environment anymore. Well, we're going to talk about it again. And now we're to the point where it's it's an established topic. You know, we just we just had an, another change of administrations, and even the last administration didn't really want to talk about it, but they couldn't help it because mm-hmm. there's so many people saying, "No, no, this is a topic we have to talk about," and um, native plants are a part of that. The other thing I wanted to add in is that um, you know it's not just about the ecology of using native plants; it's a cultural part of our history. Um, you know, I always talk about, you know, Inkberry being what we would have written the Constitution with. Mm-hmm. And, um, you guys have New Jersey tea up there, what the colonists drank during, you know, after they threw the tea over mm-hmm. overboard and the Oswego yeah. tea, the other the other tea that they drank. You know, there's there's a lot of our own history tied to native plants. And, and I think sometimes we don't people like you and I don't talk about that enough. And it's – when we had Samuel Thayer on, you know, yeah. he feels a lot of that is kind of hidden, like we're so far removed that we have to start reintroducing people to that history because they feel like we've lost that connection with mm-hmm. that, and it's it's about bringing part of that connection back. I think that's a wonderful point. Um, you know, we talked about using pokeweed for ink, like he was saying his daughter yeah, uses yeah. Pokeweed, uh, pokeweed to write papers, you know, and it's – you know, we've we've lost that. We've, we've, we've really lost yeah, a lot um, of that. I don't want to get too off track, <laughs> just in the start out or start of the I podcast. I get off track, but uh, that was yeah, that was his whole premise was we've lost so much of our our food history and um, and with it our human history just because you had people from a small area of the world conquer the rest of the world and kind of erase a lot of that. And there's so many things that uh, not just for uh, food but for everyday uses, like you mentioned with ink yeah. that people just found in nature so no that's an interesting outlook on it yeah i agree i agree i guess on the flip side of that is since it is such native plants are such a new topic to to so many people uh what are some of the misconceptions that you see people have well i think there's um although there's an awareness I, i i think there's a lot of education that needs to happen um i think folks um you know, they're in it because they want to support wildlife, um, for example, um, and I'll start preaching about the benefits of native plants, but then they'll say, oh, well, the birds come eat my my Japanese barberry berry, so aren't, aren't I feeding the birds? Um, and I say, well, yes, but uh, unfortunately, that, that bird is going to carry that uh, Japanese barberry berry and seed uh, to the woods and they are excellent seed dispersers, so they're going to deposit it in the woodlands with a nice little package of uh, fertilizer in the rich uh, soil of the woodlands, and it's going to grow there, and you're never going to know it unless you take a walk in the woods. And that invasive Japanese barberry is going to start out-competing all the natives, and uh, soon we have a, a woodlands uh, full of Japanese barberry. So um, a little bit of education about the importance of native plants uh, and also about the importance uh, of not planting invasive species, which I think uh, mm-hmm. back to what Rich was saying earlier is is educating not only homeowners who, who want to, you know, do the right thing, but also educating the, the landscaping, you know, community about um, up- updating 
I guess, yeah. um, the retailers, you know, the, the growers to start planting the native plants, uh, you know, in, in mass so that folks are going to be buying the proper plants, buying native plants. Yeah. I mean, how, how many of your customers or clients think that, that insects are bad, that, that you're, you're planting weeds and, and it's bringing all these insects and I don't want insects in my yard? I mean, are you still coming across those types of arguments? Yeah. Um, well, think, we don't. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, John. Go ahead. Oh, I was I was just gonna uh, say I think Becky brought up a good point that the monarch is kind of this uh, ambassador for the insects, and so uh, that's kind of a an opening door that people can go into and and have that conversation whereas 20 years ago we were talking about what kind of raid to spray in the backyard you know and <laughs> how to keep the mosquitoes out and oh my god there's a dragonfly what what are we going to do you know that's a terrible thing and yeah. so you know i think eo wilson talking about biodiversity and dr doug Tallamy now talking about the insect apocalypse and all of these things you know without insects we're we're not going to make it uh very far and so it's a good it's a good starting point i, th I think yeah richard you were yeah. gonna say yeah i think to the question of um and it also goes back to the idea you mentioned before about pushback from clients i yeah. think and i'm sure you guys can agree that when you market towards the people that want this kind of work you don't get that pushback yeah. mm -hmm. so that's part of our philosophy is that you know as i go through my checklist of, of whether a client is going to have an alignment with our company um, you know, I know pretty quickly whether we're going to be able to work for them or not, especially if the phone conversation goes okay and I walk onto the property and they've got, you know, kind of citrus and verbose and boxwood sheared to an into their life. And I know respectfully decline to work on their property, you know, educate them on what we're doing and bring the bulldozer in and maybe start fresh or start to pick at the corners and start to install, you know, native native plants as we can as, as their budget and their ideas allow okay I, I mean but there's a place for everyone to start i would imagine like it's this is a such a radical idea for so many people that i find that you may have to ease in a little bit mm -hmm. you know if let, let's just let's let's put it this way and and this is a hard one if you had to pick one if you had to talk someone into either using one native plant or getting rid of 10 square feet of grass turf which would which would you pick where would you start um i would well here's the thing <laughs> it's sort of it depends how that conversation's going yeah right so if the client says you know what i love my lawn and there's no way we're going to take anything out of it again that goes to i'm all about educating mm -hmm. otherwise i wouldn't be here right now yeah so there's a fine line where education and profit sort of have to happen yeah. And if if it's going to be a relationship where, you know, I'm beating my head against the wall trying to get our educational values of why we're doing things to, to across the client, you know, then it just it just doesn't work because they're going to be unhappy. We're not going to be able to do the work they want. Um, you know, so to your point, it's hard to say. It depends. Yeah. It depends. It really depends on individual client for us. Anyway. And, and, you know, I guess the elephant in the room that we should probably mention, you know, this is a business. And, and yeah. our first route of discussion when we talked about the business of native plants is important, you know, to the end user to realize that for as beautiful and wonderful that we love this topic and, and we're all very passionate about it, 
in order to continue spreading that message, you have to be profitable at it and, and you have to have values and, and stick to those core values. And I can appreciate you saying, I don't think we can work together because you're a business that needs mm-hmm. to make money to continue and you have people that depend on you to support. So I would imagine how hard is – do you have a lot of those conversations and how hard is it to have that conversation? And how many of those, I guess, people can – do you eventually win over in having those yeah, conversations? For us, anyway, it doesn't happen very often, again, because I said the way the way we market, yeah. you know, because we're marketing towards the people that want organic lawns or want, you know, native plants on their properties. Occasionally, we have that conversation with people that, that you know, I don't even think they've looked at our website yeah. um, mm-hmm. and they call us up out of the blue. And, and I, another part of this is to that when you start to do work like this, you start to differentiate yourself from other companies. And, you know, you start to lose the, the truck in the truck or the tire kickers that a lot of companies deal with. So, you know, it's a whole nother level and that, that you start to, the people that you the clientele you start to deal with. Yeah. I think for us anyway. John, how about you? You know, if you've listened to the podcast or if you've uh, heard me speak, you've, you've heard me talk about the fact that 20 years ago, I'd, I'd go to somebody's house and I'd go, well, if you plant this plant, you'll get this butterfly or you'll get this bird. And they just kind of go, get off my lawn hippie um and that that just doesn't happen anymore and people now call us for these things but um one of my favorite projects to show when i give talks is one that we did back in 2000 and again sorry to be a washingtonian here but uh the client was the uh, commander of the carrier fleet at the time and his son we had just gone into iraq and his son was a f-14 pilot uh in iraq and so he was a very conservative guy, and, and I was there to give him a price on a patio, and he was telling me how they wanted to landscape their house, and I was like, well, you know, you you could put in this native plant, you could put in that native plant. And he just kind of stopped me in the middle of the sentence, and he just was like, look, I don't I don't really care about any of that. I just want <laughs> some barberries and, and some junipers and, and things, and and I just, I kind of sat there, and I went, oh, geez, what do I say? What do I say? You know, and, and, and I went, well, you know, gosh, you know, I, you know, if, if you want these, uh, Asian and Russian plants in your garden, I, I guess that's your choice, sir. And, and he just kind of took a step back and just went, and I, you know, I said, I like Virginia, you know, I, I love Virginia. I love to use plants that are native to Virginia. And, uh, you know, we ended up, it was a couple hundred thousand dollar job. It was, it was a big project. And, um, he probably has the most ecologically sound uh, landscape in Alexandria. He still lives there. It's still the same. Wow, wow. You know, the, the landscape is held. And but it was it was fine in that moment to reach him, you know, because he mm-hmm. wasn't into the science. He wasn't into the ecology, but he was into the patriotism of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And so it was it was just kind of a luck moment that I, I had a, a decent thought. Yeah. You know, my mom yeah. always said, you know, when in doubt, say something smart. And so I followed my mom's advice and tried. There we were. You know, you know, we always talk about making the circle bigger, and you're not always going to get someone mm-hmm. on the ecology of it, and you're not always going to get someone of the science. Not everyone has the same interests, mm-hmm. and I, that's a fantastic story. Yeah. I don't know if I would have yeah. been as quick on my feet with, with that <laughs> oh, one. Me, I would have just kind of been like, okay, sir, and just <laughs> yeah. shuffled away. Yeah, sir. <laughs> yeah. But I guess – I was this close. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things we often hear – or I, I kind of cringe when I see it a little bit online is – 
that native plants are maintenance-free or low-maintenance or, or use less water. What do you say to people who who look at native plants and I don't want to say that it's not true, but think that that's true across the board with native plants? Becky, you've been going first, so I'm going to yeah. call on you to go first <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah. I was thinking that sounded a little bit like an industry question, but I, I'm happy to, to jump in and offer you my opinion. Well, I think I, me personally, as a, as a backyard gardener, I'm, I think I'm the only one here that's not in the industry. I, I kind of come from gardening uh, personally, but also as an educator. Um, so when I talk about uh, planting natives and, and the Ocean County Soil Conserva Conservation District, we have a guide. Our signature guide is called Low Maintenance Landscaping for the Barnica Bay Watershed. Um, and it, it is a little bit tricky because no, no gardening or landscaping or, you know, keeping a yard is no maintenance. There, there's always some maintenance, but um, I, I try to tout the fact that I'm, I'm a really lazy gardener. And um, when I go out to my garden, I, I don't go out to water. I don't go out to um, uh, pull weeds or, you know, trim hedges or anything like that. Um, I go out to, I, I'm all about the, the butterflies and the bees and, and the birds. And um, I want to attract wildlife and enjoy them while I'm out there. So I'm going to plant native plants that in my eye, look good when they look bad. And um, I always think of, I'm gonna quote uh, somebody right now, when you change the way you look at things, things you look at change. It took me a couple of years to really truly understand what that meant. Uh, William Dyer, I believe is the person who, who said that first. Um, so when I see um, a dead tree and I have two in my yard, one right in the front yard. Um, instead of seeing an eyesore, I see um, a home for woodpeckers. Um, you know, when I see uh, tall grass that hasn't been mowed, it's usually planted there purposely, or maybe it hasn't been mowed, but I see seeds for the birds instead of, you know, an eyesore. Um, so I try to look at the landscape as something that is, um, productive for the wildlife that I enjoy living in my yard as opposed to um, is it is it trimmed neatly are the neighbors going to be complaining mm -hmm. certainly I know a lot of folks who come to me and say I you know the municipality you know the zone officer is out here with the ruler what am I going to do um, so that, that's certainly something to keep aware of um but i i come back to them and say well educate your neighbor you know create a, a flyer with some nice photos invite them to your yard for you know some lemonade and show them the butterflies what you know show them how you raise the caterpillars and actually tag the monarch and let it go bring the kids over so they have a good time in your yard get a sign signs are really useful uh, pollinator habitat bird friendly habitat i put one on my dead tree in the front yard so that everybody knows with a little nest box so everybody can see that that dead tree has a purpose it's not just you know uh dangerous <laughs> which okay. it's not but um i guess education is is really the key to um sharing information it, it, it definitely is okay. Does anyone else want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's exactly what Becky's saying. There's no such thing as no maintenance. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's low maintenance and the maintenance is different. 
you know it, it, it and one of the things too is the, the misconception that because it's native it has to be this wild unkept looking garden i mean if you even if you had a, a if you, even if you had a rose garden if you didn't do anything it would be wild looking mm-hmm. you know so it's it's just a different type of maintenance it's not that there's never ever going to be any maintenance it's just different i agree i agree um I, I want to start before we start going into the nitty gritty of it. And I know Becky in our conversations, you're going to agree with this. And I know I, I well, all of you are going to agree with it, but even though we always praise native plants, it really starts with the soil um, and soil health. Uh, because if you don't have that, it, it's downhill from there. So, um, is there anything that you would recommend to our listeners if they're going to start doing this? What's the best place for them to start? Do you recommend them getting a soil test? Do you recommend uh, adding to that soil or, or fixing that soil? Well, I think they should go out and roll around in the soil and <laughs> get to know it really, really well. Um, pick it up, uh, smell it, look at it. Um, what does it feel like? How does it feel when they hold it in their hand and kind of squeeze it, um, you know, put it up to your face and, and smell it. Does it smell nice and fresh and earthy? Uh, or do, maybe does it have a little bit of an odor like a rotten egg that can can tell you something? Um, what color is it? Um, is it really sandy? Is it gritty? Is it smooth and soft? Um, add some water to your soil and see what happens. So really kind of get to know your soil just, you know, for your own sake um, to kind of educate yourself on what your soil looks like. Get to know who who lives in the soil. Are, are there any worms visible when you, you dig a hole in your soil? Are there any other arthropods in there? Certainly you want your soil to be uh, teeming with life. Healthy soil is full of life. Um, that is really, um, a sign of really healthy soil if you have a lot of critters crawling around in your soil, living in your soil. Um, and then also, of course, get your soil tested. Um, you can package it up and send it through the mail, literally, uh, to Rutgers Soil Testing Lab so that you get to know what the texture is of your soil, if it's sand, silt, or clay, or sand, clay, or loam. Um, get a pH test so that you know if you have slightly acidic soil or neutral soil or slightly alkaline soil, um, get to know what nutrients, a nutrient test. Um, so you don't have to apply fertilizers if you if you don't need to, you might have them all in your soil already. Um, so those are some basic things to, to start to get to know your soil. You can yeah. you, you could do your own homemade uh, perk test and take a coffee can, put a hole in the bottom, fill it with water, put it in the soil, and see how long it takes, takes for that water to, to drink. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, Becky. I sorry I started to giggle a little bit there. I just started thinking about you describing getting to know your soil, and I'm thinking, oh, Saul's going to hear this and he's going to call in. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I ate some of my soil. <laughs> oh, I'm waiting for that <laughs> phone call. I want a picture. So, you know, but Becky, Becky, Becky said <laughs> I needed to taste my soil, so I did. <laughs> uh, so Richard, you know, once once they get to to know their soil, I know you're a firm believer of if you're going to to fix that soil if there's a problem to do it organically that's one of your philosophies can you expand on that a little bit yeah sure um i mean as far as as far as fertilization and gardens go we do well none okay all right 
you know, because once the gardens are established, you, you don't you don't have to, you know, you don't have to do a lot, especially when you're dealing with natives. Um, you know, a, a great a great book to pick up is um, Teaming with Microbes, uh, Jeff Lowenfeld's book Teaming with Microbes, and also a quick a quick read is um, the Soil Bi- Soil Biology Primer by Elaine Ingham. Um, those are two good. Good, good books. Good read. Quick read. The soil, the soil biology primer for, from Lane Ingham is nice and quick. Um, and Jeff Lowenfeld's a bit more detailed, but those are really two good, two good stepping stones to start off. And then you start to deal with turf, and that's a whole different story. Um, that's a whole different management uh, style altogether, system altogether. So, but yeah, I mean, once you're dealing with native plants, we do very little fertilization. You just put the plants, pay attention to the plant culture, um, pay attention to what kind of soils there, and put the right plant in the right place, and there's your low maintenance garden. You know, what, that? we uh, we we just recently hired a, a, a new employee uh, about a month ago, uh, Rick, and mm-hmm. uh, he has a, a soils background. And one of the first things he asked me was, "What what do we have to do to eliminate fertilizer in in our mix? Mm-hmm. You know, what what steps can we take to to make that disappear?" And I thought that was a very interesting observation right off the bat. And I actually yeah. love that question. So we're actually having those discussions mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. So it's because um, I don't know that it's, it's really necessary for us to have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and John, what do you guys do down in, in Virginia? It's a similar area to where we are in New Jersey, but still it's it's not exactly the same. We plant the right plant in the right place. <laughs> that's a fantastic point we actually lost point. a project this spring um because we told the client we were not going to fertilize and and you know people will see our pictures on instagram or on facebook and stuff and you know our mountain mint is standing straight up and our switchgrass is standing straight up and they're like how do you get these plants to stand up and i'm like we don't fertilize them mm-hmm. they don't want fertilizer your little blue stem shouldn't flop Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah it's 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 having the right plant in the right place and i know the master gardeners program preaches that all the time and uh, a lot of other places do but it's it's really that simple it's it, you know becky had a lot of really good points about rolling around in your soil and getting to know it um you know i i may have been born in new jersey but i was raised in ohio where we had 18 to 24 inches of topsoil so very different you know, place to mm-hmm. grow plants yeah. than Virginia, where we have this, I don't know what you call it, red clay. Yeah. <laughs> that we have to grow plants in. But, you know, people are always constantly surprised that we're able to put in plants that thrive and, and do well in these things. And, you know, I'll go back to Rich's point, it's, it's education, education, education. And uh, I know I speak for all of us when I say that we're constantly learning ourselves Mm -hmm. none of us know everything that's why we go to symposiums that's why we go to these seminars that's why we listen to these podcasts um because we want to learn you brought up a fantastic point and and i know we've talked about this before just putting the right plant in the right place and if you get to know your soils you know you can understand oh this is more wet this is more dry this is heavier you know this plant like sun If if you're putting a sun loving plant in the shade mm-hmm. yeah it's going to stretch if if you're putting uh, a wetland plant in an upland yeah it's going to struggle and that's that's when you start seeing people to put putting band-aids on saying i need to spray because mm-hmm. i'm having insect problems and it's really a problem of of not matching up your the, the plant with the right environment yeah and it's cases. it's got to be 
tough in some regards because some people fall in love with a certain plant or they'll, they'll visit a place like uh, around us. You go to Bowman's Hill or yeah. you go to the even the Pine Barrens and you see something and you say, oh, I want that for my yard. It's almost a, a possessive kind of way. It's like I want that and I want to be able to look at it uh, from the comfort of my, my home. But if that plant's not going to grow there, then well, if it's not the right plant for that place, then it'll struggle. Um, what do you, do you guys, uh, John and Rick, do you have that that come up often where someone wants a particular look or they want a particular plant and then, but it's it's just not going to work not, there? Yeah, it's the wrong plant. Um, not not no, not so much. Okay. Again, it goes back to the, it goes back for us. It goes back to the marketing, mm-hmm. you know, um, and. And I'm sure it's the same with John. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but people come to us because of the work we do. It's mm-hmm. not that square peg, round hole yeah. scenario. You know, it, 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 they're coming to us for, for what we do, and they value the knowledge that we that we gained. Um, and John's absolutely right. It's like in 2005 when we transitioned from conventional to organic and ecological. You know, I was stuck in a rut. I was doing things by the calendar. I was adding, you know manures to soil why because well you're supposed to um i didn't know why i was doing it just because and then once we started you know you start looking at soil biology and realizing that there's so much stuff going on under under your feet that you need to nurture that to make your gardens work um it really it's like every day is something new and where i never had that before and you know i loved what i do well i love what i did before now it's like i wake up in the morning and as much as my my body will allow me to skip to work <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm anxious to get to work every day because of the work we're doing. It's 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 so much different and rewarding than it was before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to take too much time, but just to touch on the, the the soil, this amendments of the soil is also important. You know, when do you amend things and when you don't? It's the same as over fertilization. Mm-hmm. You don't just want to amend the garden because well, you amend the garden. If you're going to put a blue stem and things like that, and they don't want rich soils with a lot of amendments. If you're planting things that are more understory, then you might want to put some compost in the soil and amend, mm-hmm. the, amend the soil. You know, so it's important to know what you're putting in that space and what to do with the soil before you plant. Yeah. I, I'm actually going to add off of what Fran said a little bit ago about our, our new employee who was looking at our, our potting mix. And, um, and part of it was by adding the fertilizer to our potting mix, we were creating so many more problems, problems with algae, weeds, and then everything where that water drained into into ponds well then you were having more problems there and he was like well you get rid of the fertilizer you don't have these problems you don't have these weed problems you don't have these algae problems that are hurting the plants anymore so that was he just kind of clicked and um that's kind of what uh, there's that job up in syracuse fran um at onondaga lake yeah they found it failed the first time because they brought in like rich topsoil and planted all these plants in rich topsoil they fertilized them and they said the only thing that grew <laughs> grew was cattails yeah. and um and then when they actually just used the native soils that were there that in other areas and and the second time around that's when they had really good success and they found they've had more diversity kind of plants even though they planted things all over they kind of found their their spot on their own as well so that was a an interesting presentation yeah. and then that is really but, scaled down to your yard. But I would imagine that's difficult as well because if you look at developments here in New yeah. Jersey, I can't speak for the whole country. There's there's no native soil. Mm-hmm. I you know I I just recently uh, had an oil tank taken out of my yard that was in ground and a remediation had to be done. And 
that soil was any that that was about as far from <laughs> from mm. native soil as you could get so i mean how unnatural are the conditions that you're going to when you go to to customers yards that that you're finding that a hard time matching up because it's it's such an unnatural condition to try to naturalize do you, do you see that john is that something that that an issue that you have in virginia well, certainly. Uh, you know, I live in Loudoun County, Virginia. It's the fastest growing county in the United States. And, you know, I go down the road every day and see forests getting bulldozed and so they can put houses in. Mm. And of course, a lot of times the, the country, you know, the developers are taking that topsoil off and selling it and leaving you with nothing in your yard. But um, again, I think it goes back to kind of what Becky said earlier of getting down in the dirt and getting to know your soil and seeing what's left seeing what's there i think also that people tend to want to solve a problem and sometimes that leads you to other problems like tom you were saying with you know we added fertilizer to the soil because that's what you're supposed to do you know and and you know you're right that's what we're all taught in school that's mm-hmm. what we're all kind of taught by whomever we're listening to is that oh well we've got to we've got to do something no you don't necessarily have to you you have to find plants that grow in those conditions and uh spec them into the project and 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 kind of start start there but you, you know soil is incredibly important because the plants are going to live the rest of their lives in that soil and so you have to have the right right mix and things but you know i I think commercial fertilizers, like Rich is saying, you know, stay away from them, do everything organically you can. It may take a little while to build up some mm-hmm. soil, but, um, you know, most homeowners live in their houses for five to 10 years. Most of them do phased landscapes where, you know, maybe they do the front of the house one year and then the side of the house the following year. And so, you know, you talk to them, you educate them about building up those soils, preparing for when they're going to be planted. Mm-hmm. and. And um, I think that's another way to approach it. You know, before we move on, you know, one of our one of our colleagues, I guess he's retired now, Mike, uh, I'm drawing a blank, Feller from New York City Parks. Um, and I, I apologize if I'm, if <laughs> yeah, I'm, if I'm, I don't remember. But they did a study where they realized that when they were looking at restorations, anywhere that invasives were at their worst was soil that was former landfill and anywhere that it wasn't growing tended to be native soil and that natives were growing in so they actually put through um that any excavation being done in new york city the soil couldn't be removed from new york city and they started stockpiling it just for their restoration purposes so that Mm -hmm. they knew that that native soil uh was staying there and they could do the proper thing and try to combat invasives by making sure they had the right soil that that invasives you know invasives love that nutrient rich mm-hmm. um landfill soil and that's where they were you know it was on un- uh, once they understood soil their restoration started to change yeah. and that was huge and and for all our listeners we're actually gonna we're in the planning phase of having a a complete soil um soil root discussions discussion. so, so that we should keep that on your calendar <laughs> to either skip it because you don't care about soil or you should listen to it really yeah. but uh because as becky was saying it's kind of the the start of this whole thing yes so the the so next can topic... i say one more thing about oh, yeah. soil? sure yeah, go ahead. because sure. um, i love soil uh, <laughs> so we we're talking about john you mentioned how um the, the top soil is taken off and resold and uh Fran, you mentioned that the 
you know, the soil was removed yeah. um, and reused. But once that soil is kind of disassociated with the landscape, um, it, it definitely, you know, loses its quality uh, because mm -hmm. as we were talking about earlier, one of the most important things about soil is the life in the soil. Mm -hmm. So when you're removing it and it, it's sitting there for a while and it, it kind of dries out, um, a lot of the life um, it, it can no longer exist. It, it, it is no longer soil, it becomes dirt. Mm -hmm. So um, just something to keep in mind yeah. that there's so many um, interactions between the, the soil itself and the, the microbes, whether it's, you know, the bacteria or the fungi or the protozoa or the earthworms that have a relationship with each other in the soil and also have a relationship with the plant roots. So, um, you know, it's going to take a while if you do get topsoil, you know, purchase topsoil or, you know, amend your soil in, in one way or another. It, it is definitely going to take a while before it um, becomes, I'll just say, functional again. Well, um, that's actually just something important to remember. One of the things that we discussed here internally is where we collect seed to grow plants for our plant production is – you know, we, we always talk about incorporating mycorrhizae, but what if you, you take, take some of the soil from where you're collecting seeds, some of the microbes that are already there, a bucket of soil that you can incorporate into the potting mix and make sure you're continuing that life of that soil, you know, because you, you're taking plants that are grown in a specific uh, uh, scenario and you're putting them in a complete lab, <laughs> basically a, a, a lab scenario being grown mm -hmm. in a nursery. So what's the best way that you can you can make sure they're getting a healthy plant to go back to that that condition so, yeah. it, so it takes it takes it on all ends we don't want to get any started on like a rising too yeah but so there's compost teas and things like that right so that's the way you can speed mm. up getting it yeah that biology back into the soil by you know if you do like for example you know you can't get irritatious mycorrhizae right yeah. because they can't produce it fast enough to be able to get it into market so that we can use it on our plants but you can put a broad spectrum mycorrhizal, you know, mycorrhizal application down when you plant. Um, but if you have rhododendrons, you can go out into the forest and pull some soil up, and you can make some compost tea, and you'll you'll get that, hmm. you know, you get that mycorrhizal fungi and be able to expand that with the compost tea application. Yeah. So cool. just the length of time that we spend on soil should should stress how important soil is. Yes. So yeah. if if you take away anything, if a, even if a lot of this goes over everyone's head, you're you're taking away at least that this is a a huge building block mm -hmm. in which to progress from yeah moving on we want to talk more about um the plants that you guys like to use and i've originally said oh what's the top five plants but go looking back at what we just talked about i'm actually going to rephrase that and say what are some plants that you kind of find work across the board that you really like to use and then where can people go to find what plants are going to work best for their soils or work best for their conditions that they have a, a dry sandy yard what's a resource they can go to to find out what'll work in that those conditions so is this where i get to plug my jersey yeah go so jersey friendly yards jerseyyards.org two wise um we have a jersey friendly plant database on our our website jersey friendly yards and um, in the database, there's searchable filters and the filters are, they pertain to the different conditions that you would find in your yard, such as soil, uh, specifically the pH. Um, so you can check off, is my soil um, 
alkaline, acidic, neutral. Um, how about my soil moisture? Is it well draining, medium draining, wet? Um, light conditions, full sun, part sun, shade. Um, we've also included, uh, do you want trees? What, you know, plant type, shrub, perennial, annual, ferns, grasses, um, ground covers. Um, other things include uh, deer resistance. That's a big one in Jersey. People want deer resistant plants. Um, salt tolerance. Um, we also have two different ecosystems in our database. If you happen to live on the coast or in the barrier island, um, or if you happen to live in the Pinelands, you can check an eco region, mm -hmm. um, drought tolerance. Um, so once you go through all the filters and you, you check off the conditions that match your yard, there's 400 plants in the database, more than 400, and that will kind of narrow down the choices to the ones that specifically you know match. So right plant, right place. So you get a lot of right plants for your place. Um, and then you can click on each plant and you can read the details of the plant and how high it's going to grow and the bloom time and the color and what wildlife it attracts. So uh, it's an excellent resource for finding the right plant for your yard. Do you have a, a handful of plants that you would recommend that not that they're going to fit every scenario, but tend to work in a lot of scenarios? Well, I, I was thinking about this because I, I knew you were going to ask this question <laughs> and um, I, I want to tout grasses because I feel like grasses are kind of frowned upon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Lawn is the only grass people want to grow, it seems, but I, I've and I've just kind of played around in my, my own yard for, you know, past couple of years and um, planting different native grasses and they grow Talk about, you know, low maintenance as far as like having to go out and like mm -hmm. take care of plants. Really grasses, to me anyway, require very little maintenance. Um, and I like to leave mine up in the winter time because of course they feed the birds. Um, so I, I came up with a short list and okay. the one I love most in my yard is called purple love grass, um, air grass despectabilis. And it's kind of a, a lower growing kind of clump clumping grass and when it's in bloom it has um like pinkish purple flowers and i swear they sparkle mm -hmm. like it sparkles in my garden and i'm always immediately attracted to it when it's in, in bloom so that's that's a favorite um and i just added a new one to our, our database called bottle bottle brush grass mm -hmm, yeah. um so i haven't planted it myself but it looks really really pretty the flower it looks like you know the the brush that would you would use to clean a bottle it's yeah. it's really fancy so I, i'm going to tout grasses great today. Cho great choices and that's elemis hastrix i, I yes. believe and i've actually yeah. seen that yeah. on the the trail we have right behind the nursery here yeah. growing mm -hmm. wildly i'd never seen it before i'd heard the the genus and i'd heard well i've heard of the species but and then uh just happened oh that's got to be what that is yeah. i've seen that picture i don't know how many times and when they're mixed with perennials yeah. they just look so nice in the gardens yeah. you've got your your beautiful colorful flowers and then you have this other texture that the grasses provide yeah john do you have any resources like jersey friendly yards in the, the like the what's it um the dmv area the the dc metro area yeah, I, I typically will steer people towards uh, Native Plant Societies mm -hmm. uh, okay. as a good source to find lots of good information on sourcing things. Um, the Virginia Native Plant Society has a whole page of nurseries and landscape designers and whatnot. Uh, we have what we call the Plant Nova Native Initiative here, Nova being Northern Virginia. 
um, but there's also the Plant Virginia Native um, Initiative. And um, I, I always talk about how writers will have writer's block. Designers also get designer's block. Yep. And so I always go to the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center, and mm -hmm. they have a really great uh, database for plants. And you put in there, you know, I'm living in upstate New York. I, I've got a full sun hillside that's really dry and I want a plant that's three feet tall and, and it'll spit out 20 or 30 species. And then you can just kind of pick and choose from, you know, a, a list of things. The National Wildlife Federation worked together with uh, Dr. Talamy to mm -hmm. put together a, a search engine for a, a very similar type of thing. Um, so those are kind of my go-tos for that kind of stuff. Right. Awesome. And do, did you have one or two plants that, that you tend to use a lot or that you think that most people can't go wrong if, if they were to put that in their, their garden? Seriously? You're going to limit me? <laughs> yeah. to one or two? All right. All right. How about, how about three or four? <laughs> Let you go five. Um, get wild. I will, I will start with my favorite butterfly bushes because every okay. year I get phone calls from people saying that Oh, I'm not seeing any butterflies. I'm not seeing any butterflies. It's you know the end of the year, end of the world. Well, I'm not seeing any butterflies. And what people need to remember is that a lot of butterflies migrate south for the winter, mm -hmm. and so it takes them a while to get back up north. And I'm sure they get to New Jersey after they come to Virginia. Mm -hmm. So maybe I can call you guys the next time I, I start seeing them come in. Yeah, yeah. And I can let you know. But they're on um, the way. <laughs> two bushes that I plant that to me you know when they start to flower the the uh the butterflies are are coming back um and again i don't know if these are necessarily i'm sure you have but button bush in oh, new yeah. jersey mm -hmm. yeah. yeah um cephalanthus occidentalis uh very beautiful flower really great shrub medium sized uh feeds a lot of butterflies and and pollinators in general mm -hmm. um and uh, just a great plant for the landscape. Likes to have wet feet, but it'll do well outside of that as as well. Um, the other one is bottle brush buckeye, which is more of a southern <laughs> yeah. native, um, but probably still hardy in in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. um, really great fall color. I'm a buckeye, so I have to you know push <laughs> the buckeyes as much as I can. And, um, but when that that plant's in bloom, the 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 you know they've got 12 inch flowers that come out and. They just get covered in, in tiger swallowtails and every kind of swallowtail butterfly you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And they form great colonies too. Yeah. You know, they're both great yep. choices because button, button bush, like you said, they like to have wet feet. That's one of the few native shrubs that can really just take permanent inundation. Mm -hmm. Like, but it can take it dry. So it's, it, it's, it can take that varied situation, which is awesome. Do you want to, do you want to do, you, you gave shrubs. Do you want me to let you do some, <laughs> some herbaceous? Do you want to throw in? I don't want to sure. limit you. Sure. <laughs> um you know if you listen to the show you'll hear me plug uh euphorbia coralata all the mm -hmm. time which is uh prairie baby's breath or um uh, uh, flowering spurge um and that's one of those plants that will grow on absolutely no soil at all um but it's it's just a tiny little thing when you do that but if you put it into some good garden soil you know i have them in my garden that are 
four feet tall, four feet wow. wide. They wow. bloom all summer wow. long. The euphorbias are in the same families with uh, poinsettias, and so you're looking at bracts rather than flowers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great one, and not something you see very often. And so, if you run into it, you can add it to your garden. It's a great plant to have. Probably my newest addition to the plant palette um, would be the scutellarias uh, skullcaps. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I saw those 15 years ago down in Cullowee and uh, as I was touring a native plant garden down there and I thought, my God, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Why, why have I never seen this before? And typically when that's the case, I'll say, you know, there must be something wrong. You know, maybe it gets <laughs> blown away by powdery mildew or maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's got some problem. Maybe the deer love it. Um, but I started using it five, six years ago, and it has done nothing but perform really mm. well for us. I have a couple of clients that allow me to experiment at their property, and so I I got some from James Brown, okay. yeah. who yeah. lives right down the street yep. from yes. you guys, yes. and New Moon uh, Nurseries. New Moon Nurseries. And, um, you know, I, I went to some clients and said, hey, you know, I'm going to put these in. If they die, we'll replace them with something else, but, you know, uh, give me a give me some space that i can kind of test these on you and and they've done nothing but you know thrive and spread and they seem to be deer proof uh which is a big thing we talk that's about huge. in the trade you know how do you what plants stay away from deer so that's the other that's the other newbie to my uh my my palette that i i really have you know, we use them all the time now. Yeah, um, I, cool. I order in a bunch in the spring, and then we we're expect them into jobs all all summer long. Those are great choices. Yeah. So, Richard, before we ask Richard, I, I need to lay out a disclaimer that just because he does such a great impersonation, Richard is not Saul. Yeah. They are two yeah. different people. Yeah. So I don't want people to not like hearing you and going, maybe maybe Richard is calling in and he's Saul. Richard is not Saul. Just a, just a long lost cousin. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. How about you? What are what are uh, what are some um, of yours? Yeah. So obviously, well, not obviously, but. Um, Anybody that hears me talk always knows that I talk about oaks, white oaks specifically. Um, the yeah, as bottle brush buckeye, you see it over my shoulder. We use that a lot. Aspis parviflora, pycnanthum muticum. Love using that one. Solidagos, um, Eupatorium uh, perifoliatum, and Eupatorium hyssopfolium. Or if anybody native bees on their properties like the the picnanthums and the eupatoriums will you know outside of the coneflower you guys call as the entry the gateway or the gateway, yeah, yep, gateway yeah. drug for for natives i guess what you guys call it right yeah. so those three would also be right behind the, mm-hmm. the echinaceas because they just you know when they're when they're doing their thing i mean they've got tons you know thousands of pollinators flying around on them all kinds of different things skippers and all kinds of bees and they're really awesome awesome how about resources? Do you have any resources that you'd want to throw out? Um, nobody's, nobody's mentioned pinelands yet. No, no, that's okay. So pinelands, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah, Thank and you. we do use a lot of plugs, so we'll use pinelands. Um, you know, in, in New Jersey, we use uh, um, Pleasant Run, mm-hmm. uh, Sunset Farmstead. They're really mm-hmm. great. I mean. I mean, you guys know them, so oh yeah, you know, they're, uh, they're all great people. Sunset Farmstead has been on the podcast, yeah. and and the folks at Pleasant Run, I actually yeah, I, with. I, I mean, they're great because they're not, I believe, right? They're not using neonics or anything like that when no. they're mm-hmm. plants they're growing. So, they're, and they're using 
Um, I don't think they, I don't think they can call it organic the way they're growing their their plants there, but you know they're they're pretty close. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and even though we're wholesale and and other uh, a lot of the other nurseries we talk about are wholesale, we we do try to educate and make a lot of great information available so our website even if you're not a wholesaler you can still go on and and look at our plant information or narrow it down there's a plant search tom just built a great new website uh where you can pick your conditions uh, and go through uh, like i need this much inundation i need this light requirement and it will show you what plants are available so even if you're not buying them from us and you just want to get them from some you know uh, a local retailer that's a great resource um you know, and and actually, Tom's wife Melissa, who we called on the last episode, we I, I should have given her a plug. A lot of the infographics you see on our social media, she is is doing. She mm-hmm. listens to the podcast and puts together these great graphics. So if you follow a lot of these places on yeah. North Creek, has a fantastic uh, social media presence. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. So even though you can't get the plants from them, get your information mm-hmm. uh, from them. You know, because it's it's great information. No, none of us are doing it to uh, directly benefit us it's getting the right yeah the, it's, we want we want the education out there the and i was actually going to touch on this as a final thought but we want our our perception is to get as much information about native plants out there even though most people can't get the plants from us just because the more people that are into native plants the more demands there's going to be eventually it'll find its way back to us in some way shape yeah. or form even if it's just goodwill but if there's so, more demand there will be more people in between yes as well yeah. there's there's enough space there's there's not enough podcasts about native yeah. plants there's there's not enough businesses yeah. that deal with native plants our, it, it needs to get larger our whole larger. social media strategy is just make the graphic look nice and we're taking stuff from the podcast for what our guests say uh going to jersey friendly yards or lady bird johnson using stuff from their websites kind of putting in a nice tidy package that can go on facebook or go on instagram and then just have people hit that share button our goal is to get at least 10 shares per uh, and we have a, a smaller face social media presence but we want like at least 10 shares and then when it gets up into 50s or 100 then we're going ecstatic because yeah. that just means so many more people are seeing this the more people that see it the more people are going to their garden centers looking at this stuff or calling on landscapers to use this stuff and um and that's where we see the big benefit is yeah. in addition it's just helping the planet so exactly um so I have might... a couple of resources to offer yes. yeah. before we, we move on. Um, one of my favorite places to, to purchase seeds and also plants, um, mail order, is Toadshade Farm, mm-hmm. Toadshade Wildflower Farm um, in Frenchtown, and um, Wild Ridge Plants up in yeah. northern New Jersey, um, excellent high-quality native plants, and uh, Earth First um, yep. Native plant nursery. So there's a couple for the home gardener. We we talk about those three all the time yep. on the podcast. Yep. They're 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 great people. Yeah. They 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 live it. You know those yes. are people that yeah, exactly. that they're it's to to you know how we say it's still a business. I think to them, like you can question, do they know it's a business? <laughs> like they they I mean it's it's yeah. really ingrained in in who they mm-hmm. are. So and and you can't ask for more than that if if you want to deal with someone to buy plants. Yeah. Go ahead, so Tom. One, one if, of the next if, questions. Wait, sorry, John. Oh. Go ahead, please. If I can just add something in really quick, I, yeah. I would also caution people that because this is a new thing and because this mm-hmm. is becoming really popular, there's a lot of people saying that they do native plants that maybe don't. Yes. And, um, you know, we we get a lot of garden centers around here that sell a lot of nasty invasive species, but they know that 
the marketing's there to say they do native plants. And mm-hmm. so yeah. to them, maybe they're thinking native plants is a dogwood and some inkberry, and that's a native plant garden, and that qualifies them to say that. So do your research, be an educated consumer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you go somewhere and you see a bunch of non-native invasive species being sold, maybe that's not where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. No, that's very, very good advice because as this movement does grow that's going to happen more and more so and and it means there's something um to knowing latin um you know difficult as that may be uh take you know write down the latin name of the plant you want to buy and take that with you to the nursery because a lot of times plants will share the same genus Um, a native plant and an invasive plant might be in the same genus but they're going to have a a Mm -hmm. different second name specific epithet so the species is going to be completely different yeah. and, and we've talked about it too that so many native plants have multiple multiple common names mm-hmm. depending on the area of the country they and you know you can easily confuse plants just by going i i just had an issue the other the other day with one of our customers with with conflicting uh, common name, so mm-hmm. it really live by that botanical name because yeah. it's it's the one and only. And Becky, yeah, I like I liked your advice of bringing it written down because yeah. then you can show them. Because <laughs> we, I'm on LinkedIn today and we're going through a whole. How do you pronounce them? what's the real way? Uh, with we've, well, I'll I guess I'll bring it up. We've talked about what I say schizacarium, but also it's pronounced schizacrium, um, which is right. And we we. We had Steve Castron on, and we just said, oh, we've been saying it wrong for a long time. But then when we started doing more research, we're like, well, you can find it said both ways in a lot of different places. So I put it on LinkedIn and said, okay, how do you actually say this? And you know what? <laughs> and it's, I'm getting answers on both sides. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's been pretty interesting. We, we've even gotten so, answers that we hadn't heard before. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, yeah. it's you know, I, I, I don't know. It's Yeah, write it down. Yeah, write That's, it down. I just always assume however <laughs> I'm saying it is incorrect. <laughs> And then whoever else says it differently, they're right, <laughs> is, is, is my error. But I go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, and they actually have a little, um, you know, sound button next to the, the Latin name, and you just click that button, and, and the yeah. scientist will pronounce it for you. Oh, yeah. um, and then the other thing is the Jersey Friendly Yards website, our database, once you get all your plants that you want from the database, you can actually print out your list, and you can bring that with you. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. So do you want to – It's like when I, when, I go, when I go see a client, I, I met with a client last night, and I use all my botanical Latin in my plant list. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, what is all this? And I said, there's this amazing thing called the internet, cut and paste. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because otherwise you could, you know, how many different butterfly bushes are they going to find if you put butterfly bush? Mm-hmm. All right. One question I have to ask before we continue, and it's it's pertinent, it's actually pertinent. Mm-hmm. One thing we didn't ask before we started was if anyone had a time constraint. Because yes. we, yeah. one thing I, I'm realizing we've only asked four questions and we're well over an hour <laughs> into this so and we're not going to do a, a three-hour podcast yeah. but I, I if anyone has a time constraint you know we try to keep it somewhere between an hour and a half to two hours and we'll try to like bang through some of these if if someone has something pressing so just raise your hand if if if, if we hit that point <laughs> so i i guess that that the 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 next place to go is we we kind of talked about resources soil uh, and then, and then some plants that you can't go wrong with. But one of the, the the great thing about native plants is that you can really garden for all four seasons. And there's some highlights mm-hmm. as you know you can 
you can give anyone can garden to give themselves something whether it's for a flower or the look of the plant or even what they attract at certain times of the year um would would i'd like to talk about tips for gardening for for all four seasons and and what are some of the things that you go by um are there certain plants that you look for or, or do you try to do that do you have customers ask for that or do you do you recommend that in general to to try to garden for for all all four seasons of the year and john why don't we start with you this time you've always been last <laughs> i don't want you to feel left out <laughs> <laughs> well i i, I think it's uh, it's a great question um and again you know when you go back to that 1960s logic of uh you know gardening it's all about evergreen and winter mm-hmm. uh you know boxwoods 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 and you know if you're if you're a person who's kind of decided to go native and to start doing more native stuff that means that you're ecologically minded and you're mm-hmm. focused on pollinators and things other than just the plants in the garden and so I think having four seasons of interest is imperative to the human eye. And I always say that we build our gardens for the humans that pay for them. I, I have yet to have a butterfly pay me for a, a butterfly garden. And not that they need to, but, um, you know, I have a mortgage. I have to put food on the table. So, uh, you know, like you said, it's a business. Um, uh, but, you know, you, you, you I get it all the time is, is I, w- I was just at a client's house the other day presenting a plan and, you know, there's, there's a limited amount of evergreens in the native palette. And, and so the client was like, well, what's this going to look like in the wintertime? And I was like, well, it's going to be beautiful. It's just going to be kind of different than what you've been taught mm-hmm. that it should look like. And I tell everybody, we live in a temperate climate, enjoy it. You know, we don't live in the mm-hmm. tropics. Uh, my wife is Ecuadorian. She's a, a, a Latin scientist, and so she'll tell us all how to pronounce the Latin name. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, you, you, you can't stress enough that we live in a temperate climate. We're going to have a really beautiful spring. We're going to have a really beautiful summer. We're going to have a really beautiful fall if, if the landscape is designed correctly. And then you're going to have a really beautiful winter time as well you know nothing is is prettier to me than ornamental grasses mm-hmm. in the winter time and i'm not talking about miscanthus grasses i'm talking about little blue stem i'm talking about uh switchgrass i'm talking about our natives um the other guys kind of make me ill in and see them in the winter time but um yeah i think it's it's incredibly important to have mm-hmm. as many seasons of interest as you can have Richard, how about you? Um, so, I, obviously, the whole ecological thing is is really top of our list with whatever we do. So, uh, the four seasons, you know, the winter obviously is the is the issue. Um, the rest of the time, it's fine. And and like John was saying, you know, to me, there's nothing like you know the spent seed heads and the golds and the browns and the and the different textures that are that you see in the winter. And then, you know, I think probably be important to touch on as far as that goes also how do you maintain that you know i know you've had quite a few folks on to talk about native bees and how do you maintain one of these gardens it's the time of year to get them cleaned up um you know so a couple of years ago we had started going to our clients and saying you know yeah that winter garden looks great and now it's time to clean it up 
So what do you do? Because everybody goes in with leaf blowers and rakes and rakes their garden beds out and you take all that good ecology that's sitting there waiting to hatch and, and go about its business and take all the property. So we started just cutting things down and leaving them. And just, you know, we do our nice clean edges um, and mulch just tucked up along the edges and leave everything else. You know, we cut grasses and echinacea and all those things that are maybe four feet high into 12 inch pieces and leave an 18 inch, eight, leave the stems up 18 inches for the for the overwintering and spring insects and native bees the next season. And by the time April rolls around, it's starting to get covered up already. So you don't even need mm-hmm. to mulch it. Yeah. You know, so that's that's a whole nother, a whole nother aspect of that at four season gardening, how do you clean it up in the spring? And that's, I know that's a topic I see a lot on Facebook right now. Um, you know, the whole thing about leave the leaves and, you know, do you cut more back and when's the right time? It's 50 degrees, right? When isn't it? You know, again, it's a business and clients are expecting you to get out there and start to do some cleanup. So we had to take that balancing act of conventional cleanup and what our customers are and, and society is used to looking at mm-hmm. and blend the ecological with the conventional and that's the approach that we take. So. And, and that's the big ethical question. Like I, I think, in our hearts, everyone would love to be a purist. How possible is that? You know, is it is it better that they leave some rather than nothing at all? You know, and it's it's. I, I guess you pick and choose your battles. You, you start somewhere and you hope that you eventually win people over more and more. Every day, it's hard to, you know, you got to find that common ground and get them interested, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then and then grow from there. So it's that the fact that that you're able to do that is wonderful. I, I think, and and mm-hmm. and that's that's a great place to start. So, where, do you, what kind of advice? Someone who's looking to get into this, they they've stumbled across our podcast or, or the Native Plant Podcast, and they want to get in more into native plants. What kind of advice do you give them to get started? Start small. That's what I, I was hoping say. someone yeah. would say yeah. that. I did yeah. not, and that was, I'm paying for it still. <laughs> <laughs> that was like three years ago. Just, so. just look at one area of your yard. Um, it could be your foundational planting. It could be out by your mailbox. It could be, you know, if you want to start taking out some lawn, that's a bigger job. Not really, um, but, you know, start small. Yeah, you may not want to take your whole lawn out to start. Yeah. You know, that yeah. may be, you may <laughs> you may be uh, biting off a little bit more than you could chew. Yes. However, um, I'm actually about to take a little bit of my, my lawn out and I'm just going to rent a uh, sod cutter and I'm going to have mm-hmm. an instant uh, bed. So um, it's actually going to you know be very uh, beneficial. I'll, I'll have no lawn and it'll be done really easily. Just put my bed right in there. Um, okay. But yeah, just start small. Um, just start with an invasive species uh take out the invasive species and replace it with a native plant so you you don't even have to build a bed you're you're not Mm -hmm. making extra work for yourself you're just kind of exchanging one one not bad plant it's not the bad it's not the plant's fault but you're exchanging one plant for a better plant awesome that's good advice that's really good advice any other advice i can add to becky's comment about taking the lawn out obviously you guys know me um, start with areas of lawn that are problematic, you know, shady areas mm-hmm. or wet areas where you're always consistently throwing grass seed down. Again, when you're looking for your plants, find plants that want to grow in an understory and put those under trees instead of trying to get grass to grow. But yeah, don't certainly start small and don't pull the whole lawn out and, and think you're going to have a wildflower meadow in your front yard. It's not going to work <laughs> that quickly, that easily. <laughs> John, you have anything to add? You can. Yeah, I was going to say you can at least stop treating your lawn you know mm-hmm. um, 
a lot of homeowners just think that they have to fertilize, that they have to put down chemicals to have a nice lawn. You know, plant some clover and throw some violet seeds out there mm -hmm. and, and say, you know, bad words to the lawn care company as they're going down <laughs> the road, you know, kind of thing. Um, don't do that. Don't, don't pick fights with your neighbors. But, you know, the, the lawn is the biggest waste of resources in the, in the, the United States. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we hear it all the time. We've all been kind of brainwashed into believing that we have to have this perfect, perfect weed-free lawn. And that's just, that's sad. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, people have lawns for a reason. You know, your kids want to play volleyball outside. Great. You know, have an area where they can play and, and run around outside. We want kids to be outside. But do you want them to be outside crawling through 2,4-D and some of these chemicals that people are putting on their lawns? I, I don't. You know, and, and out of sight, out of mind, one thing we haven't even touched on is water quality. Yeah. You know, all these things do find their way back into your water source, which affects uh, fish, everything. You know, mm -hmm. it, you know, if, if we were to all take that stance and stop using or, or cutting down drastically on those types of chemicals, you'd see a difference in, in your water quality, yeah, it's, too. It's important, especially if you, you live in a place that has a sewer system with storm drains, it's important to think, Basically, your lawn is not is only capable of, of attaining so much water per hour or per per rain event. Um, it gets to a point where it can't take anymore. So after it reaches that saturation point, everything is just going to roll off and go into your your storm drains. And lawn in particular does not attain very much water at all. It tends to be compacted soil. The roots don't go very deep. There's nothing to slow that water down before it hits the ground. So, um, yeah, basically everything you're putting on your lawn, whether it's fertilizer, uh, pesticides, or uh, even just your dog going outside to use the bathroom, is a lot of that is going into your storm drains and affecting water quality somewhere downstream. But, John, I do want to take a step back because at one, or I think I've seen you speak two or three times now, and at one of your present, well, all of your presentations, you mentioned uh, a job that you had where it was a, a development and they had these big backyards that were all lawn and no one really went outside. And then you had your, your job there and you planted, uh, I think it was butterfly weed and all these native plants. And then all of a sudden you had kids playing outside and there was people enjoying their backyard, having barbecues. And it didn't happen when it was just grass. It happened once there was, was native plants there to, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's actually a, subdivision here in uh, northern virginia called ashburn village and um it's a planned community just like you know many subdivisions are in the united states and five or six years ago they they contacted us about uh doing pollinator habitat around their lakes they have five man-made lakes in the subdivision and they had previously talked to their landscaper you know their mow and blow guy for lack of a better term um and they had done one lake and and they used the landscapers dozen you know miscanthus grass yeah, knockout yeah. roses uh mop cypresses you know all the the usual suspects and it didn't really do anything for pollinator habitat of course and they they asked me to go look at that lake first and they said you know we're just not getting good results and blah 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 and and I went over there and I, I took pictures because 
nobody went outside nobody went into their backyard there wasn't a single patio built in the backyard wow. people had decks but there was nothing on the decks you know people just didn't go outside there were bradford pears there were ellie agnes you know it was just the, all the all the worst plants you could choose to put in a landscape and so when we did our first garden there we did uh, tippecanoe lake which it went on to win what is called the signatures of Loudoun uh, design award for public spaces. And it has a jogging trail that borders it. It borders the one side of a lake. Um, it's probably uh, three, 400 feet by 20 or 30 feet, you know, and um, uh, the story I like to tell is that um, somebody came out and saw the butterfly weed and bloom. And they said to me, you know, hey, is that going to end up in my yard? And I, I said, well, I hope so. You know? <laughs> and and um, then a year or two later, uh, the same guy came back with his daughter and his daughter was six or seven years old. And she started telling me what that plant was. She said, do you know what this is? And and I was like, it, you know, I, what a kid is. Yeah doing something like that to me i play dumb I, I just go no tell me you know what what is it and so she's like that's butterfly weed and and um she she told me the whole story of the monarchs flying south to mexico for the winter and that she was happy to have this plant in her backyard because that meant the monarchs were going to come back and that they were going to be in her backyard in the summertime and and that they could go visit her cousin in Mexico in the wintertime. And, and, you know, it was just this really touching, rewarding story. And, and she had taken and planted some butterfly weed in her garden. And she actually took my hand and took me over to her house to show me the caterpillars on her plant. And I was wow. just like, okay, nobody needs to pay me ever again. I'm, I'm just doing this <laughs> yeah. job for free from now on, you know, and, you know, and, and, it's been a real success story, but I would also caution you guys that when you're working with HOAs to be mindful of the fact that administrations change. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, Ashburn Village had a change in administration and some people took it over who didn't care at all about the pollinator gardens. And I had to fight for three years to get them to keep them. You know, they mm -hmm. were talking about plowing them under, putting them back into grass. They're still talking about that. And, um, and you know, I've, I've challenged them with, you know, why, why are you thinking of doing this? Is this more expensive than regular landscaping? And they never give me a good reason why they want to do it other than they just like grass. And, you know, it's like, come on, man. You know, I had this whole <laughs> magical moment and you're going to destroy it now. So, you know. So good things and bad mm -hmm. things have come from that that garden. But we ended up doing five really large pollinator gardens. And like I said, they've become award-winning designs. And and most of the, actually, when they when they started talking about getting rid of them, I got the, the people of Ashburn Village involved and said, hey, you know, you're about to lose these gardens. And so, you know, board meetings started to get bombarded <laughs> by the citizens of the you know, there's there's ways you can get around things if mm -hmm. you, you get people involved. Yep. Awesome. No, it, I always found it to be a great story that I want to make sure we had you share it here. That's a great story. Before we move on to the next question, do you want to – would you like to share a, a newbie advice? Oh, do I have yeah. new, do I you, have advice? Do, yeah. Do mine, mine was really going to be I haven't asked stalk. you anything at all. <laughs> mine was going to be start small because I – like I 
alluded to, I started, hey, I just bought this house and I'm going to do everything native and, and pulled everything out. And, uh, yeah, I'm paying for it still. And I'm once I have a free weekend, I'm going to be out there weeding and, and making sure I have everything cleaned up. So, but not yet. My, my advice, and this has kind of been thrown back at me, you know, and I'll go through mm-hmm. the, the positive and negative. If, you know, if, if you're not sure where to start, there's a lot of great resources. But if you have an open space near you, you know, go take a look. What do you see there? What are some of the native plants there? Now, you, I've also been, you know, it's been said to me, well, what is nat- What is a native space now? Like, is it really a natural space? Like, can you even mm-hmm. say? And that's true because I can go to any natural space around here and find invasives at this point. But if, if you're, you're opening your eyes just to look at, like, and you're asking questions and you're seeing what's there and, and you're asking the right questions, it gives you an idea um, one thing we always talk about is wetland indicator status that, you know, if, if you're looking at an open space near you and it's it's red maple and black gum and and things like that. And you're like, all right, that's facultative. So maybe soil wise, it, it, it likes, you know, like somewhere in the middle, like, you know, it can maybe take a little wet. Sometimes it's found dry, that type of thing. It's just it gets you at least asking the right questions of where to go from mm-hmm. there. So it always helps just to kind of just take a look around and see see what's in your area. Yeah. What's you know, if there's a true, like, you know, hopefully you don't go to your local natural space and you're just seeing <laughs> tree of heaven and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, Russian olive, but. So one of the, the places we wanted to go with this was, and, and even with, the, with, when you start, start talking about native plants, at least open yourself up to thinking about other things, not just what we enjoy, but what's good for birds and butterflies and wildlife. Are there any other garden applications that that either just help bees and birds and, and wildlife or even help us in other ways than I appeal that you guys use native plants in? Uh, I could start. I mean, certainly green infrastructure, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, this, this picture behind me is a rain garden mm-hmm. and over five and over five, a time period of five years, that's going to, you know, infiltrate over 2 million gallons of water. So, wow. you know, that's, that's why we do green infrastructure and that, you know, having native plants in there is obviously a key component. That's a multifaceted ecological home run right there. Yeah. Anyone else? This is going to sound really elementary, but, uh, the ecosystem services that native plants provide, um, clean air, (laughs) (laughs) um, pulling carbon out of the air, you know, with your healthy soil, um, everything that you know a, a kindergartner or first grader might learn in school about the importance of plants um clean water clean air just existence you know human existence quality of life on our planet um, comes from having healthy landscapes and it's all connected ecologically and native plants are you know a, a really important component of that mm-hmm. ecological integrity Anything else? Anyone else? I'll, I'll follow up with okay. Rich. Um, you know, we do a lot of rain gardens, and I actually just got my CBLP, which is certified or Chesapeake Bay Landscaping Professional Certification. Oh, and um, awesome. here in Virginia, we have what's called the VCAP program, the Virginia Conservation Assistance Program, that helps uh, homeowners install rain gardens and do conservation landscaping. And um, we had Beth Ginter on our show, who's the head of that program. And it was great because I said to her, can you quantitate, 
you know, the stuff. And man, she gave off the and and they're all conservative numbers because, you know, like they only require you to report that you did one rain garden. Well, we probably did thirty last mm-hmm. year, you know, mm-hmm. and and so whatever those numbers are that they're saying and, and they've got them on their website the you know the the gallons of water that they're cleaning the nutrients that they're pulling from the soil all those things are on there and and they're all incredibly important and that's just the water going through the garden and then you know as becky's saying there's all the ecological uh you know services that they're performing with have being habitat so um conservation landscaping and and rain gardens to me are a huge huge thing of the future because more and more municipalities are requiring it when you do construction instead of the old concrete ditch that goes through the riprap we now have what we see behind rich there which is a beautiful lush landscape and it took a long way for us to get to that point because like you you talked about 60s uh 60s uh way of thinking as far as gardens it was that civil engineering form of let's get rid of the water as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. you know and and all the erosion that it caused and everything it's just starting to you think we'd be further along but it's really you're really just starting to see those i know i think ocean county did a lot of retrofitting of uh detention basins into ring gardens a few years ago probably Mm -hmm. probably like eight ten years ago maybe um so i I love that we're on that path at least that we're you're seeing those changes it's it's more normal to see those changes um, I have a confession. Yes. Um, this is a, a confession of the uh, the soil district in general, soil conservation districts in general, and I guess of our government. Um, in our office, we have um, an enormous library of literature that, uh, you know, over the years would be handed out uh, educational materials, and you'd be surprised of how many invasive species we didn't know it then how many invasive species we actually recommended for erosion control or Mm -hmm. you know restoration practices so um unfortunately you know we had a hand you know i'm gonna say all of us had a hand in um kind of scrambling the egg here uh so it, it really does um you know, behoove us to kind of try to unscramble the egg and and move forward with uh, kind of reversing those old beliefs of what's what we should plant and well, the, the thing properly. The thing is, we've all made mistakes, and I'm sure there's there's things that we're doing now that we're going to find out years from now. Maybe we could have done better. Um, you know, the whole thing is learning from those mistakes, and that's actually like a good segue. Uh, to where we want to go with this if you're um, gardening in your yard and you want to start with natives you're going to make mistakes don't be afraid to make a mistake you're going to make a mistake that's how you learn some of your most valuable lessons Um, sorry I'm smiling because I almost made a really bad joke and I actually bit my lip and didn't make it (laughs) that's good (laughs) you're becoming a little more professional wow how do you like that Um, I didn't have to cut it out Um, so what are some of the more valuable lessons that you've learned along your way in, in doing what you're doing, um, positive or negative, that you can pass along uh, your experience of, of doing this? Don't impulse buy. All right. <laughs> kind of like don't shop when you're hungry. Don't <laughs> shop until you have your native plant list with you and you're bringing it with you to the, to the nursery. Otherwise, you're going to see it. I will see a beautiful plant and go, oh, wow, I love that plant. Resist the temptation and get get a plan together. Okay. All right. I like that. 
anyone come on there's mistakes in there just waiting to to come out well i guess i mean designers go go ahead john sorry no it's fine go ahead Uh, i think from a designer standpoint you you want to be peed out off on your first try you know and so you go with the (laughs) the fanciest newest cultivar or plant that hits the market kind of thing and and you end up replacing a lot of plants if you're if you're a a designer and you, you have to warranty your plants and those kinds of things and so i i kind of tell people to go first with the tried and true and the plants mm-hmm. that have been in the in the trade for a long time and you know you know if you put a button bush out there it's going to grow a certain way and a certain size if you put a crazy cultivar of it that does weird things it, it might die in a year or two so keep it simple you know, perfect example of, of a cultivar, there was a Coreopsis called Lime Rock Ruby that everyone loved. It was yeah. like the hot new perennial. And then in the Northeast, they quickly learned after the first winter that it, it, it wasn't winter hardy. <laughs> and most of them died over like a, a, a heavy uh, Northeast winter. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that was something that they weren't counting on happening, but it happened. So, um, you know, but if you just went with um, – Coreopsis that's that's native to the area, you know, it's going to handle those conditions. So, and and Rick, you had something to add too, right? Yeah, I think um, both points are great, and I think patience and being observant also. You know, Nate, you know, Mother Nature is going to tell you where something wants to grow. So, you know, to the point I think John made earlier about looking around. If it was Becky, I'm sorry about looking around other you know landscapes. What's surrounding you? I mean, you're going to minimize mistakes if you. If you see other native plants or things like that in, in your developments, um, and also, have, like I said, have some patience. You know, things may not work out. You're going to make mistakes, like you're saying. And when you see those mistakes, go back and find out what they were. Don't just ignore them. Mm-hmm. You know, be observant. See the. You know, are they were the leaves flagging? Was there a pest? Was it getting too much sun? Was it getting too much shade? You know, all those things that you can eliminate by making sure that plant's going to be in the right spot. To the tune of patience, I'll add in one of my favorite phrases, you hear it mostly in the native seed uh, industry, is first they sleep, then they creep, then they leap. And it's just, especially when starting stuff from seed, it takes a little while. I think we might have even said before, but but some of the baptisias from seed, they'll take like seven years to really show up in in a meadow seeding. Um, if you plug it or you use it from a larger size container, it'll show up a lot faster than that, obviously. But some of this stuff takes time, and it will change over time as they, the plants interact with each other. But you know, and and I'll throw one out there too. Just you know, you you want to look around. You want to. You also want to do your research. Just because something has been here for a long time. Um, and you find it all over doesn't necessarily make it native. Uh, mm-hmm. Royal Empress tree is a great one in Philadelphia. There's a lot of uh, wonderful old specimens. But that was actually the 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 seed pods were used as packing material, packaging packing material for um, ships coming in from China. So, and that's how they kind of got here. And they've been here for a long time, but they're not necessarily native to here. So, do a little research. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. It's somewhat of a rhetorical question, and it may be a rabbit hole, and it may be a conversation for a different day. And this might be the the debate that you are hoping us all to have. And all right. disagreement. Um, and it kind of um, links back to um, what we didn't know earlier, and we scrambled the egg, and um, how should we move forward in the future? And it's regarding cultivars. Um, there's a lot of talk about cultivars or nativars and 
you know, creating a, a, a plant with a, a different leaf color, different, you know, double blooms and can insects, um, you know, engage with the flower and pollinate it or, you know, is it uh, actual food anymore for the, the caterpillar that needs to eat it? And um, should we continue to uh, grow cultivars or nativars and end up in another 30 years with a whole bunch of plants that, you know, we've scrambled the egg in a different way or, you know, how do, how do we approach that? And again, this is probably a conversation for a whole nother podcast. I, I think oh, this yeah. is a whole <laughs> rooted discussion. This is, this is actually another episode we were hoping to have at some point. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I don't know. Do we want to delve into this one? Because I'm afraid it might yeah. really, maybe we can each give our, our like a, a one minute summary of what we think. Yeah. And then, then we are running a little bit short on time. So let's everyone kind of give your spiel on um on how you feel about it and, and tom and i will also and well, then uh and then we'll start to wrap up after that just because we're getting close to two I hours i have one question i want to ask yeah <laughs> I, I i do actually we're actually we're about an hour and 40 minutes okay so so all right um okay so i could i could just jump in then so first of all the term native r is like friend and in Tom, I was like, it's on a chalkboard to me. Like, it drives me bananas. I can't, I can't stand it. Um, and, I, and the fact that, the fact that, um, who was it? Who, who actually, I think it was Alan Artovich coined the term native art. Um, and I, I certainly wish he hadn't. Um, but anyway, I, I would like to, you know, as far as like native arts, cultivars, uh, we prefer to use species as much as possible. But I think if, if you're looking to get people involved, I think cultivars are okay. Um, but I think from a professional standpoint, I think you've, you always want to err on the side of species. I mean, that's my take anyway. Anyone? You brought up Dr. Alan Armitage, and he was on our show. And um, you know, to him, it's all about marketing, marketing horticulture. Yeah. And so his point, which I think is a legitimate one, is is that you you need to reach some people. And so this whole term nativar does that. It, it kind of differentiates native plants from other cultivars of other types of plants and so i don't necessarily think it's a, a horrible thing to use or anything I, I agree that we should always err on the side of straight species but again we're gardeners we're human beings we we have we have cultivated plants for millions of years and or hundreds of thousands of years sorry um and and we're going to continue to do that mm -hmm. you know people are going to select a yellow flowering butterfly weed and call it mellow yellow and they're going to put it out there on the market and they're going to reach some people by doing that and so i'm not against reaching some people and getting them interested in native plants and maybe they start with a, a native r and then a year or two later they start going well gosh i'm going to get a little pickier about my plant palette mm -hmm. and i'm just going to go to straight species so i think it's a it's a gateway drug so to speak, and and um, uh, we had uh, Doug Talmy on the show too, and he said he had a really good point. He's like, you know, that's great that we use this term, but why not put the straight species plant for sale beside it and give the consumer the choice? You know, you can you can go with a cultivar, you can go with the straight species plant. Yeah. yeah. Who would like to go next? Becky, are you going to answer uh, your own question? Yeah. <laughs> you or do you, would you it? like us to answer? I'm on the fence, to be honest, right now, um, just because I, I feel like um, I I, I want to be responsible for um, creating 
a world that is, you know, I love the earth as I'm sure all you do too, but I, I want to try to do my best to create uh, my garden that is completely 100%, that'll never happen, but as, as um, ecologically responsible as possible, I guess. Um, and even though, you know, cultivars, like there's just some beautiful pink sweet pepper bush and, you know, just these gorgeous native cultivars, um, I, I just don't know, I'm not comfortable yet um, with the science if that plant is going to eventually you know, be released, ecologically released into the environment and, and take over the natives. I, I don't know, it's it's such a big um, conversation to have, but I'll just say I'm on the fence right now. And me personally, I'm going to purchase straight species whenever I possibly can. And, um, uh, and that's all I have to say about that. Okay. Tom, <laughs> would you like so to I, go? Yeah, I really don't think there's a lot of debate happening at least within our, our group we have here and i kind of agree with with what everyone has kind of said before is it's if that can get someone from planting something that's exotic or, or definitely something that's invasive and have them plant something that is at least relatively native that's a win the more people we we can convince to come to our side of the argument the better and we can all have to hold ourselves to our own individual standard and uh, like Becky, I'm very similar to you when I'm gardening. So, and some of this is just because I'm I have it available to me very easily, but um, but I tend to use well I only use the straight species uh, in my garden, and part of it for me is just the guilt of well I could plant this or I could plant this thing that could be better, and um, that's why I do it. But like I said, if if, if someone else they they really like that mellow yellow butterfly weed. Well, I'm all for it. If that can get you there, and then that's going to say, well, what else native things can I plant? And then you just start adding to that list. That's yeah. that's a win. All right. So I'm I'm afraid I may ruffle some feathers with this <laughs> one. I'm, I'm going to try try to say it as politically correct as I can. But and I agree. Everyone has their own standard. You can't hold every. You can control what you do, but you can't control what everyone else does. So if you choose to be a vegan, you can't expect that everyone else is going to be a vegan. You can. You can make an argument or, or make a case or present evidence or facts. And I, I kind of feel like many of you do that right now it's a necessary evil and that if it gets people involved that maybe this is maybe this is something that we realize is a mistake 10 years, 20 years down the road that maybe we can move away from this now. But it got more awareness to it and, and we can move towards toward, move more towards straight species. There was a um, – you know, just a final thought. There was a professor at at, at DelVal uh, University, Doug Kane, who who's uh, passed away recently, and his argument was a lot of these cultivars are genetic glitches that are somewhat genetically inferior. They, you know, there was an issue. Um, what do you call the the deer that are half white? Oh, piebald. Piebald. You know, there, maybe it's a genetic issue that we're kind of cloning and exploiting, but it's not necessarily as sound as. Uh, the straight species so it's you know i think if you have native stands of straight species you'll get the genetic diversity and you'll get those naturally through there and you get to enjoy it as they come and as they go um but that's my that's my thought uh, yeah i think that's a, a valid point as well so and that's 
a good teaser for the next time. That yes, we yeah. Have, we're going to have a whole like hour and a half episode of that at some point. Um, we're just, yeah, we just got to find the right people to do it that aren't going to be at each other's throats. I don't know that I, I may <laughs> let you do that one. Yeah. I, I may choose to, I got to do one without you, not, not so, by choice, but maybe yeah. that's one you, you do. And Fran, you said you had a question you had to ask. Well, so. just, you know, because we, we talked about the plants, the soil and all these things, you know, and even though, uh, a home gardener may have these things, they may struggle with the design aspect of, of how it should really look, um, because they don't have that design experience. Where do you go for that that uh, inspiration when, when you're doing design work? Uh, what are some of the things that you do to, to help help with that aesthetic? Anyone? That is a really good question and, and a question that I'm asked a lot um, working with home gardeners. And to be honest, um, I go to other people's yards and see what they've done, you know, with their landscaping. Um, I, I want to say, you know, I, I take a walk in the woods, but, you know, building on what, what John said, um, you know, we live in um, a temperate area. We live in the eastern deciduous forest region and our native habitat ecosystem does not, you know, our yards do not mimic that exactly it's just impossible um we you know i'd have just a, a yard full of pine trees in, in the back in my backyard if that were the case so you know i i go to places you know like pat sutton's backyard or other you know native plant gurus that have um excellent backyards already established and get ideas from them awesome awesome anyone else You know, I, yesterday, they have uh, amazing gardens in their own yards. I'm yeah. guessing. Yesterday, I was down in Alexandria, Virginia, and I, you know, I think you know most of my inspiration comes from nature, and and so I would say I go hiking, Appalachian Trail, that kind of stuff to look for inspiration. But um, I was down in Alexandria uh, yesterday, and. Um, my wife has been asking me to get her Ethiopian food for the past 20 years. And as I left this client's house, I looked across the street and there's an Ethiopian restaurant. So I went in, ordered some food. And while they were cooking it, I walked around the block. And, you know, you're talking about Old Town Alexandria, back to the 1700s, these little townhouses, these little row homes. 10 by 15 front yards and everybody's is on display you know it was a it was a garden tour that was free of charge and i just went from place to place and you know one of the hardest things you can do is design a really tiny little place and mm -hmm. so i just i just was going along and you know we all have cameras with us these days because we all have our phone and everybody's phone has a camera on it and so anytime I came across the garden that I thought was special, I just would, you know, take some pictures of what I thought was special about it. And I came home and, you know, if you go to the My Documents folder on my computer, you'll see a, a folder that says Ideas. And I download them to that. And, you know, they're going to be with me forever now. But it was, it was, it was a completely unplanned, completely unexpected, great little garden tour that I took yesterday. Awesome. Awesome. So I know time-wise we need to wrap it up. Tom, do you think... You didn't want to ask Rick? You want to oh, cut him oh, out? I, uh -oh. Oh, oh, man. Um, Richard, I'm he's, sorry. He's never going to come back. 
<laughs> so, Rick, where, where do you go for, for inspiration? Sorry. I, I, well, you could have skipped me because I don't have a whole lot. So, <laughs> see, I was <laughs> I'll, trying to I'll save you. you. I was trying to save you. Yeah, thanks. Tom you pulled you back. Just... Tom pulled you back in. Um, you know, I'll just, I'll just, you know, a lot of stuff I'll look at. I, what I'll do when I'm, when I'm really stuck is I'll look at Doug Tommy's work, mm-hmm. and I'll go to see how many caterpillars that are on his list and see what I can add to the ecology. And then awesome. go, by, go by his list if I'm going to add something. You can't go wrong with any of those. I, I, what I was going to say was I kind of feel like everyone's talked about some of their favorite plants. Instead yeah. of torturing them with with making everyone pick a native plant, I kind of feel like we've already tortured them enough with that. Do you want to just go right to final thoughts? Yeah, we can do that. Okay. Unless you guys want to add your, your favorite plant to your final thought. but if, You know what? You could do that. If, if you want to say what your favorite native plant is, I, I know – that's always a, a hard one to do, um, <laughs> especially because we've, we've discussed so many things. But we always, you know, this is the time of the show where we always just give everyone a final thought. You can promote anything you want to promote. You can uh, just summarize or you can bring up something that maybe we didn't touch on. Um, and and the floor is yours for, for however long you want it until, until you're done talking. So, and uh, Becky, let's start with you. All right, so final thoughts. Um, take some time to, to, to make a plan and determine the function and the purpose of your yard or garden or landscape and start with healthy soil. Um, either get to know your soil intimately by you know smell, touch, um, roll around in it, or get a soil test done professionally and um, visit the Jersey Friendly Yards plant database to pick out the right plant for the right place. and. Um, John started with mentioning inkberry holly, and uh, that is definitely one of my favorite plants. And I want to promote shrubs because I think they're overlooked in the uh, backyard landscape. So inkberry holly, I like Sclabra, feeds the birds. Yeah. Awesome, good choice. Awesome, uh, Richard. Since I I left you <laughs> yeah. left you out last time, if you would like to go next. Yeah, I would just like to echo Becky's thoughts exactly. I think what she said is perfect. And also, too, um, I think you guys are doing a great service to everybody. I think you're po- I've been listening to your podcast. I'm going to trick you guys a little bit since the get-go. And I think what you guys are doing is awesome. And the more people listen to you guys, you guys, you're knowledgeable. You're, I mean, you, you go in deep with things. You skim the surface to people who don't understand it. I just think what you guys are doing is awesome. So um, Thank you. You got you've got a loyal listener here, no doubt. So I appreciate you guys. Thank we, you. We Thanks appreciate for having that. Me on thank today. you. Oh, thank you, thank you, John. What's your final thought? Uh, I would say have fun in what you're doing. Um, you know, if you're not having fun out in the garden, why are you doing it? So have fun while you're doing it, and uh, don't be judgmental. Don't be afraid to fail, and uh, don't. You know, don't don't do any finger wagging as you're out in the garden and looking at your neighbor who's planting something that's not native. You know, focus on you and you'll you'll be okay. Um, favorite plant, uh, like Becky, I'm gonna push a shrub. Uh, you know, we've mentioned Dr. Talmy a few times, and he talks about the super genera. You know, those that are the biggest supporters of mm-hmm. 
uh, life, and uh, I'm going to go with Carolina Allspice, Calacanthus, Florida. Yes, yeah. very nice. Does that grow in New Jersey? I uh, you know what? It's it's not native here, but I know when right. I worked at Princeton, we we grew mm-hmm. it. It's it's fine. It, it it grows here fine. Like you definitely mm-hmm. use it, and that's a fantastic. I think there's one in my parents' backyard. Yeah, I think I, there is too. I'll I'll even just throw that into my final thought. That was one of the, the episodes I listened to. When I was doing some yard work and garden gardening last summer, um, of the Native Plant Podcast, and uh, we talked about resources earlier. You have a great resource in Jersey Friendly Yards with with Becky and and Karen and everything they're doing over there. Um, Rick has his website ecologymatters.net. It has a lot of good information on there. And if you're looking for inspiration of garden design, that's just a good place to look at some of the projects they've done and. You can look at the pictures and see, well, this is some of the, the aesthetic that you can get out of using native plants. And then uh, I'm sure, John, on your website, I've looked at the same stuff where you can look at the pictures. But in addition, make sure uh, if you are listening to podcasts, don't don't just listen to ours. Listen to John's as well. Yes. Native Plant Podcast is one of the reasons that we started doing what uh, we were oh, doing. Oh, definitely. It's, it's a complete um, inspiration. And I've had a lot of friends that go on there and a lot of people I'd like to meet that I've listened to on there. And uh and uh, I'm glad you guys are back for another season so I can yeah. get out in the yeah. garden and, and do some yard work and have my earbuds in and kind of drift off. I feel like this is the part of the podcast where I should be cracking a beer and telling you about my dog, though. Well, we can do that. Yeah, um, we're, <laughs> thank we're, you guys for doing what you're doing because it takes some of the pressure off of me. You know, when I got started, we were kind of the only native plant-oriented a podcast out yeah. there so i'm glad some other people are getting into it and and yeah. i started out this season by saying that this may be our last one because you know you get dr tell me on every podcast mm-hmm. and you, get, you yeah. know you get a lot of the yeah. same guests yeah. and, and that's okay but uh I, I don't you know i've done it for a while i'm, I'm ready to take a break and, and that's definitely a difficult part of this when when you get someone like dr tell and you're like all right what am i going to ask him that hasn't that, been that asked. hasn't been asked yeah. you know and it's it's definitely you you start feeling pressure and it's and you remember you know part of this is a labor of love and and you're doing it you're having fun doing it and i'm glad you said that like if you're not having fun then it's not it's not really worth doing anymore but was that your final thought that was my final thought yeah so i guess mine to summarize um you know, I, I hope that everyone here, their words have inspired you to, if you haven't planted native plants, to do a little more research and 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 plant some in, in your gardens. Um, I think a great source of inspiration for me, um, if anything, more than – well, I guess they are words. They're just not our words is Robin Wall Kimmerer with the, the book Braiding Sweetgrass as far as finding that connection and what it means to you. It's It's – it's all these things that we talked about. It's it's planting the right thing. It's good for the ecology. It's great for the pollinators. But you know, spiritually and deep down, how do how do you connect with it? How do all how do you connect with all these things that you're bringing to the garden? And and how does that make you feel? And it's a, mm-hmm. a great way to just put yourself in the right mind space to take that next step. So if you haven't read that book, it, it's a real life changer for me. Pick it up. Uh, that's someone we'd love to have on the podcast and talk. Oh yeah. That would that would be about as deep as it as, as you could get, but that's that's really Good my luck. final thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> We've been trying for years. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, that's I've, what, yeah. I've sent an email and haven't heard anything back yet, but yeah, we'll, we'll just have will. to be persistent. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's okay. You know what? I'm fine with you know what she's already said has been wonderful and yeah. and if if it can inspire another person to to take that leap and take that next step it's you you can't really ask for much more than that yeah. maybe so, it's better that she doesn't do it yeah this. maybe it's the better that that's there, yeah. yeah yeah maybe <laughs> so. it's it's that perfect form that's put down and and it, it can't be can't be tainted so well that wraps it up for today uh thank you guys for joining us today and thank you to everyone who's listening we hope you enjoyed listening to us on this episode of a uh, rude discussions of Native Plants Healthy Planet. Um, make sure you visit our website, nativeplantshealthyplant.com. We're going to put all the links to all their organizations up there so you can find uh, find John's podcast and Jersey Friendly Yards and all the stuff that Rick is doing. Um, you'll be able to find it right on our website. Uh, again, this is Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. Uh, as always, we're going to give a huge thank you to RJ Comer for contributing the theme music uh, to Rooted Discussions as well as our um uh, buzz episodes. Uh, make sure you uh, listen to RJ's music on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you consume music. There's a lot of great stuff. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube at on our uh, custom URL, Pinelands Nursery. Um, don't forget we have the question and answer line, uh, question and comment line. We've been getting some great uh, questions, and Saul has been coming back. We're, we're worried that he he hadn't called in a while, but he's calling back again. You can call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. Uh, if we pick your question or comment, we'll play it uh, and answer it on a future episode of The Buzz. Let's not forget about the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. That keeps growing. Every time I look, we have 10 or 20 more members, and the conversation's been great and also very inclusive, uh, which which I appreciate. So keep the conversation going over there. Yeah, You can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. You can also check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Really, wherever you consume your podcast. Yeah. Is there anywhere that we aren't on? No. I think you no, can we're have find Pandora, us anywhere. Pandora, Audible, like all of them, so pretty much. When you're there, do us a favor. Uh, leave us a five-star review and subscribe. And the best thing you can do is share this with a friend. We keep saying we want to make this circle bigger, not just our circle, but the native plant circle. And, and that's one way that you can do it that we really appreciate. So uh, with that, I'm ever. Uh, Thanks, everyone. I'm Tom. Did you almost say you were Fran again? No, I just I almost just said hi, bye, everyone. <laughs> bye, see you later. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, Richard, John, and Becky, thank you all so much for taking this much time out of your day today. It's always a pleasure getting to spend time with you, especially in, in times of COVID where we don't get out to conferences and trade shows and get to see each other face-to-face. So uh, thank you so much for taking your time today. Uh, thank you. It's been a blast. Thanks so much. Uh, anytime. Anytime. Uh, coming up next, we have a buzz episode, and it's the fourth in our uh, series, and it will be trees. Yep. So I'm looking forward Excited to that. Excited to talk about trees. We are. Um, until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.